Let's take our Bibles today and be turning to the book of Philippians. And in just a moment, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. I just want to say briefly, before we get into the scripture, how much we appreciate you tuning in to these online services. And uh, we are grateful for the technology, the opportunity during these times of separation uh, to be able to connect uh, through this technology. We're very thankful for it. And uh, also a word of encouragement, if uh, you find the messages uh, to be helpful to you, then we would like to encourage you to share them with others uh, in your network through Facebook and other uh, platforms that you would get them out to others. Uh, we want this time to be profitable for us. We want to get the most out of it and use it to the best that we can. That would include uh, us really focusing on our spiritual growth, but also being mindful of others and reaching out to others. So please keep that in mind uh, today. And again, thank you for uh, tuning in, being a part of this today. There's a passage that I want to begin with and spend most of our time in that's been on my mind a great deal in recent days. Uh, it's a text where Paul is writing, of course, in the book of Philippians uh, to the church there at Philippi. And one of the things that's clear is he has a great love for the church and he's expressing his affection for the people there in that congregation. But also he's commending them for their faithfulness. Paul had been with them and he specifically commends them for their faithfulness when he was present with them. But then another part of this is he expressed his confidence that they would continue to be faithful even in his absence. So if you'd look there with me in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, I want to say a word really about pastors and preachers because every true shepherd uh, wants, to, wants to believe, wants to know, wants to see evidence that the church is growing in grace. And Paul felt that way, of course, about the church at Philippi. He expressed a similar sentiment when he was writing the churches of Galatia. And he said this in Galatians 4, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. And I realize today that uh, there are people who are leaders in congregations. There are people who are in the role of pastor that may be more interested in their own personal gain or their own personal agenda and how they would benefit. But the, the heart of a true servant of God is for his people. Uh, and Paul expressed this interest in how the Philippians were obeying or how they were living uh, when he was with them, but even more importantly, I think, and that's how they were without him. And so with that as an introduction, let's pray, and then we'll get right into Scripture together. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to open your word, and we thank you for this blessed book. We thank you for the power of the Scripture. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of, a, of getting together through technology 
to worship you and to study your word. We pray today for your blessing, God, to be upon the preaching and teaching of the word of God. We pray you'd use it in lives today and you'd use it in lives in the days ahead as your truth is shared with others. And Father, we pray for special grace and direction and wisdom for us during these very unusual, very unique times. Lord, we want to trust you completely. We want to see you glorified. We want to see your work go forward. We trust you to do what only you can do, and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe this passage uh, expresses what is on the mind of many preachers, not just today, throughout uh, Bible history, but also today in a particular way, because we miss being with our people, the congregations that we serve face to face. In a sense, we're, we're absent in many ways. I want to read the passage again in verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There are several things I want to focus on today as we look at this passage. And the first one is the shepherd-sheep connection. The connection between the man of God and those that he has had the privilege of ministering to and ministering with. Paul's love for this church at Philippi was obvious. In our verse there that we began with in verse 12, he refers to them as my beloved. He loved them, and of course they loved him as well. There's this bond of devotion that exists between the pastor and the congregation. Uh, just a little bit of history. Um, God clearly directed the Apostle Paul to this Roman colony, uh, Philippi, in the region of Macedonia. Uh, it was not really Paul's first choice. If you'll remember, uh, as he was moving westward and taking the gospel in what we call the second missionary journey, uh, he, he wanted to go north. He wanted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of God forbid him, the Bible says, to do that. And while he was at a place called Troas, in this vision, God called him specifically, directly, clearly, not to go north, but to take the gospel westward, to go across the Aegean Sea, and eventually into Macedonia and to Philippi. The Bible records, we're not going to look at it today, but the Bible records that this work was blessed of God from the very beginning. And it's just as God was blessing it, the devil was opposing it. Uh, Paul and Silas were beaten, they were cast into prison, but even there the Lord was working. And this church, birthed during that missionary journey, became a strong assembly. Even after the Apostle Paul left, they were faithful supporters of Paul's ministry. And I want to look at some of this to kind of give us some background today. In Philippians chapter 4, if you'd look there with me, Paul writing concerning their continued uh, partnership and support with his ministry says in Philippians 4 and verse 15, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, 
no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, even when he was in the region, the city of Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Again, this speaks of this close relationship that Paul had with them. Back in chapter 1 of Philippians in verse 3, he, he, he expresses the gratitude he had for them. He said, I thank my God, we're in Philippians 1, 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Every time I think about you, I do it with gratitude, thinking about this church at Philippi today that we're looking at. He prayed for them, Philippians 1, 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy, with a sense of gratitude, with a sense of love, with a sense of joy, he prayed for them. And not only did he pray for them, we're talking about the relationship, the connection between the shepherd and the sheep, he, he counted on their prayers. Look in Philippians 1 and verse 19. The Bible says, Paul says, I, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. The word salvation uh, being a fuller, more generic way of speaking, not just about conversion, but his deliverance, his protection. I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm counting on your prayers for me. And I just want to say this uh, in regard to that. Uh, your preacher appreciate your prayers. I appreciate the fact that you're praying for me. I'm certainly praying for you during this time. And if you're listening to this and you're the member of another church, pray for your preacher. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Paul appreciated their prayers. They had a very special place in his heart. Look at the language of Philippians 1.7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. Isn't that wonderful language? I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds, talking about his captivity or his being in, uh, in prison, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of my grace. They had a very special place in his heart. Look in verse 8 of Philippians chapter 1. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. I long for you. I, I want to be there with you. I, I miss I miss you. I miss being with you. Uh, he loved them deeply. Look in chapter 2 and verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, again talking about his love for these people, he loved them deeply. And, uh, and they felt, I'm sure, the same way toward him. So we see this connection uh, that we find between the, the preacher and the people. And these words to me today, in a special way, because of what we're going through, because of this uh, unusual time in our history, these words encourage our hearts about the relationship between the preacher and those that he loves and those he serves with. Just another example of this, Philippians 4.1 Therefore, my brethren, look at this, dearly beloved and longed for. My brethren, family, dearly beloved and longed for. My joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. He encouraged them 
to stand fast, those that he loved. And with that as a backdrop, with that as an introduction, we go back to our text in Philippians chapter 2 and verse uh, 12 where it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we see the obedience of the Philippians. As you have always obeyed. Paul wrote to these church members at Philippi, and he commended them for their obedience, especially when he was there. Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only. Now, this is a great testimony. If you'll just think about it. Uh, a testimony of a preacher who had helped establish this church and was mindful of their obedience, a testimony to the grace of God, and a, and a testimony of gratitude, I'm sure, on the part of the preacher. I mean, this you're talking about encouragement to the preacher, uh, to think about the faithfulness of those that he ministers to and ministers with, and, and saying words like this, as you have always obeyed. I just want to, I want to say at uh, this time how grateful I am for faithful Christians. I'm talking about dependable church members, consistent servants of the Lord. And what a blessing it is as a pastor. What a blessing uh, to see people who love the Lord, people who follow the Lord, people who serve the Lord. And that's a great blessing. I know that this has probably been true in my life, and I suspect that maybe it's been true in others' lives as well. Sometimes we find ourselves more conscious of or more aware of uh, those who may not be doing well spiritually or those who may not be faithful to the assembly or faithful to supporting the work of God. We find ourselves giving that more attention than we do those who are loyal and devoted and faithful followers of Christ. I thank God for faithful Christians. None of us are perfect, obviously. All of us have failures. All of us make mistakes. But these were people, verse 12 says, who have always obeyed. Let me, let me emphasize this before we move on. Obedience to God is a characteristic of true believers. Obedience to God. Not occasional obedience, but consistent obedience. <clears throat> Pardon me. He says, you have always obeyed. And let this be a reminder. Let this be a source of encouragement to all of us today. As Christians, obedience should characterize our life. Obedience to God. Others should see that in our life, in our testimony. And once again, he emphasized, in my presence as we've already emphasized. We've already talked about this. Paul has spent much time with the church in Philippi. They knew him. They knew his life. They knew his message. They knew what his expectations were. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. He says to these people, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. The things you've 
Learn from me, Paul says. The things you've received from things from me, the things you've heard from me, and the things you have seen in me, you do those things. Follow that example, and the God of peace shall be with you all. So Paul had been with them, and when he was with them, he says, you were obedient. But another thing he mentions here in verse 12 is that they were not just obedient when Paul was with them, but they were obedient when Paul was absent from them. Look again in verse 12 of chapter 2. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Not only had they been obedient when Paul was with them, but they had, been, they had continued to be obedient when Paul was no longer there with them, and their obedience had increased much more, he says, in my absence. Now here's a real indication of spiritual maturity on the part of the people who made up the church at Philippi. Not just to be faithful church members when he was with them, but even more so when he was away. When I read this, I'm reminded of the idiom or the expression, when the cat's away, the mice will play. You've probably heard that. Maybe you've heard it in the application of children when parents are away. They tend not to be as obedient when mom and dad are not watching. Or maybe employees when the supervisor is absent. They tend to slack somewhat. Or maybe students when the teacher leaves the room. I can remember times when I was in school, though that's been quite a few years ago, but when I was in school, in high school or junior high school, uh, sometimes students, not me of course, but other students uh, in the room, but students, when the teacher left the room, their behavior was even uh, uh, different. Or even maybe when a substitute came. This is bringing uh, things back to my mind here. But this, these, but this, this truth, this, this uh, idea, this phrase, uh, when the cat's away, the mice will play, uh, this, this, this the same thing would be true for church members. You know, when the preacher is around, they live a certain way, but when the preacher's not around, perhaps they don't. So Paul is admonishing these Philippians about their obedience when he was no longer with them. In many areas of life, as I just illustrated, there can be a temptation to be slack when the person who is the supervisor, the manager, the overseer is away. But this is the place that true Christian character is revealed. There's a, a similar uh, example of this in the Old Testament. And I'm going to turn to that and come back here to Philippians 2. And if you would, please turn with me, if you're able to, to the book of uh, Joshua, uh, Judges. Excuse me. It's about Joshua and Joshua's legacy, but we're in Judges chapter 2. And Judges chapter 2, it gives us some insight about what was going on in the lives of God's people under the leadership of uh, Joshua, but also the leadership of Joshua as he followed, of course, the leadership of Moses, but now Joshua is 
leaving the scene. And let's look in verse 7 of Judges chapter 2. It says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. All the time that Joshua was there, they were serving the Lord. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, those of Joshua's generation who outlived him, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. That was the generation that Joshua was leading. Verse 8 says, And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. So now what will happen? The people served the Lord during Joshua's lifetime, but now he's dead. Verse 9 says, And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. Now look in verse 10. And also all that generation, talking about Joshua's generation, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Verse 11 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. And it continues there about their turning away from God. And you might say, well, what does this have to happen to, to do with Paul and his ministry there in Philippi and when he was with them and when he left? I, th I think if you look, you could think about this, uh, the parallel here. Uh, when Paul was with the people in Philippi, they were obedient. And when Paul left... They remained obedient, maybe even increased in their obedience. In the Old Testament, when Joshua was alive, the people around him obeyed him. And even that generation, those who outlived him, obeyed him. But as soon as he died, they turned away. You know, this is kind of getting off a little bit, but it's worth thinking about today. Uh, a lot can happen in a, in a single generation. I think about our church, any church. Uh, a lot can happen. We see that in our society. When it comes to our society, how much things can change in a single generation. Look what's happening in many churches. You know, now I'm going to make this application as to for, for a current events where we are today, not able to assemble as we are accustomed to as a church. And, and there has been concern expressed to me by genuine, serious uh, disciples in our church about what might happen in this time of separation that we're in. And they've said, not in a judgmental way, but genuine concern. We, we don't want to see people get out of the habit, out of the routine of attending and serving the Lord. And, and that's a very uh, genuine concern. The generation that took the place of uh, Joshua's generation didn't have the same relationship with God that his generation had. And this ought to say something to us as parents. Uh, some like myself, you know, we've, we've seen our children grow up in church and serve the Lord. And we see now our grandchildren wanting to serve the Lord. Um, and so you think about your own children as a, as a parent or as a grandparent. You think about your grandchildren. This speaks about the importance of our children and their relationship with God. And for all those children who are listening and watching today, I just want to encourage 
I just want to encourage you to understand the importance of your testimony and your life lived for the Lord. And I would just like to also encourage families, those of you who have children uh, in the home presently, and to use this time. We have more time probably with our families and our children than normally we would. Use this time to build stronger spiritual uh, connections with your children. Times like this, and in Bible scriptures like this, the New Testament and the Old Testament should cause us to appreciate our past. It ought to cause us to sort of reconnect with our heritage, but also resolve to be faithful in the future. These people in Philippi, even after Paul left, remained obedient. So we've looked at this passage. We've looked at the close, close relationship that the preacher had with the people. We've looked at the obedient testimony the Philippians had. But I want us to look now at really what is the foundation of that kind of faithfulness. And we're still in Philippians chapter 2. If you're not there, please join us there again in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. What is it that produces such obedience to God and faithfulness to God. What is it that produces in a person's life such obedience to the Bible? Look what he says in verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Think about those words. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this has nothing to do with the idea that a person can work to be saved or earn salvation. We can't do anything to earn our salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. Working out your own salvation is talking about living out your faith. Working out your own salvation they were living out their faith even when Paul was not with them. And let's emphasize this for a moment. It was your own salvation that Paul wrote about. Salvation is a personal thing. It's your, you know, a person saved, it's not, they're not saved because they go to a certain church. They're not saved because they even believe a certain body of doctrine. They're saved because they have personally repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. They, they have their own salvation. I thank God for people around me that by every uh, evidence, people who are saved, they love the Lord, but salvation is a personal thing. It's for every one of us. And obedience to God, I mentioned this earlier, but I want to just emphasize it again. Obedience to God is a product of genuine salvation. It is a product of true conversion. Uh, John the Beloved wrote this in 1 John chapter 2. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. One of the evidences that a person saved is they're obedient. It ought to be troubling to anyone who thinks they're saved, who hope they're saved, who say they're saved, but they don't have a desire to obey God. Salvation is not a reward to people who obey. Salvation is a gift from God to those who repent of their sin and trust Christ as their Savior. And you ought to ask yourself today, am I truly saved? Have I been born again? 
And once you're saved, obedience is the fruit of salvation. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so Paul says, your, your obedience, your obedience when I was there with you and your obedience after I left was the, was the product of the fact that you're working out your own salvation. Our faith doesn't just influence our lives when certain people are around us. It's active faith that ought to influence our life even when we're alone. Look at this passage here in Philippians 2, 12, and then look at the one just below that in verse 13. He followed this great statement in verse 12 with the words in verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He says this living out your faith is a result of God's work in you, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We, we as God's children need to learn to live out the faith that we have, work out our own salvation. We must accept responsibility for our spiritual lives, for our growth, for our maturity, for our godliness, for our obedience. We're to work out our salvation. That means we learn to apply the Word of God to our life. We learn to take charge of our thoughts, bring every thought captive Paul wrote, to the obedience of Christ. We ought to require obedience of ourselves, not just because some people are around, not just because mom and dad are watching us, not just because the preacher's around, but because it's right and because of God. You know, we ought to demand proper attitudes from ourselves. And when we do wrong, our character leads us to repentance because we know that we need to make it right with God and others. Now notice again in verse 12, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. There ought to be a sense of spiritual fear, a respect for God and His Word, a sense of accountability, an awareness that we are answerable to God. Fear and trembling. Think about those words. We find them in our Bible here. Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling should guide our spiritual growth. It'll contribute to our faithfulness. It'll help us to be obedient in season and out of season. You know, as we think about this matter of spiritual maturity and living responsible, let's just review with a few thoughts. First of all, faithfulness is required and expected of God's children. Not just some of God's children, all of God's children. When we sin, and we all will sin, but when we sin, we ought to confess our sins. We ought to forsake our sin. We ought to have a sense of repentance about our sin because we don't want to live in sin because we've been born again. And that's not just because our husband or wife knows it or our children see it or our parents know about it. No, it's because we belong to God. God deserves our faithfulness. Faithfulness is required and expected of God's children. Also, our faithfulness to God should not depend on others. He says, much more in my absence. You know, growing up spiritually means that others can depend on us. We shouldn't have to go through life with someone always having to look over our shoulder, 
always have to point out what we do wrong. No, maturity means others can actually depend on us to be faithful. You know, there's nothing wrong with learning from others and even leaning on others periodically. But what do we do when they're not there? Our relationship with God affects our faithfulness. And that's the third thing I want to mention about these just closing ideas. Number one, faithfulness is required and expected. And our faithfulness to God should not depend on everyone else. Thirdly, our view of God, our view of God, our understanding of God's character, our relationship to God directly affects our faithfulness. That's fear and trembling. I'm thinking of the verse in Proverbs chapter 16 that says, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When people live in sin, continue to live in sin, enjoy living in sin, there's no fear of God in their life. I'm reminded of another great proverb that says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. I realize there can be temptations when the supervisor's away to be slack in our responsibilities. But our relationship with God means we are never without supervision. We're never without oversight. Our faithful obedience is directly affected by our relationship with God. The way we treat our sin says much about our walk with God. You know, things change when a person gets saved. And I just want to urge you again, if you're not saved, if you're not sure you're saved, talk to someone about that immediately, very soon. Talk to someone about that. And if you are saved, let this be your goal as a child of God. Work out your own salvation. Live it out consistently. Whether people are with you or not, whether people are watching or not, and do it with fear and trembling. What a great passage where Paul writes to this church at Philippi and he says, As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. What a testimony. Wouldn't you like that to be your testimony? And I'm sure for many of you it is your testimony. I know the people that we serve with, the people I've had the privilege of pastoring, I know that is their testimony. And I know that even when we're not assembling like we're accustomed to, I know because I know the track record that people are still in their word. They're still loving their family. They're still loving the Lord. They're still trying to grow. They're still trying to minister to people. And it's not that they're not here because they don't want to be here. They're, it's because they're re prevented or restricted from being here. And, and I just want to encourage all of us today as we ponder this passage, make this your testimony, that whether present or absent, you're going to be obedient. You're going to be committed to Christ, committed to the Word of God. I would encourage you to do that today. And I'm going to pray in just a moment. And I just want to urge you to pray yourself, to talk to God, and say, Lord, I want to be like this. I want, I want to have the kind of relationship with you that whether someone's looking over my shoulder or not, whether I'm assembling with the church or not, I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to be faithful to your word. I want to, 
I want to have the kind of testimony, the kind of life that others could see that Christ is real to me. And I believe that would be pleasing to God. Let's pray. Our Father, as we pray today, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how relevant it is, how personal, how probing it is. We thank you for the encouragement we find by the example of others like the Philippian believers. We thank you for their faithfulness. It motivates us. It challenges us. Thank you for those that we know, these, those that we serve with, that, Lord, have a, the same kind of relationship with you. And Lord, we know we all fail, but we want to be sincere followers of Christ. And I pray, Father, if there are those who are listening that are not saved, that, God, you might work in their heart. Draw them to yourself. Convict of sin. Reveal the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And I pray for those of us who know you, that, Father, our lives would be so transparent before you and sincere that, Lord, we'd not be like the hypocrites who act a certain way to be recognized by men, but we would have a genuine walk, a spiritual walk with you, in fear and trembling, obeying you, because we love you and because we know that your will is best for us. We'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.